OPBC Online, a ministry of Old Pass Baptist Church in Northfield, Minnesota. And we are live here. It is 2.06 p.m. Central Time. And uh, we are back uh, live on our broadcast here uh, covering Ash Wednesday, Wednesday, or Woden's Day. And the Mark of the Beast, 666. We're going to talk about some of those things here today. And uh, really deal with uh, some of the truths, get into a little bit of charismania as well as it is applicable. So uh, anyway, uh, hopefully uh, all is well. Uh, and uh, and all that good stuff. But uh, anyway, hope you're doing well out there. Joey Mack is back on the Rumble stream. Joey Mack. He's back by popular demand. I don't know how he got back into Rumble, but he got back, excuse me, got back in there. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, hope you're all doing well out there in uh, Rumble land and Twitter. X land, I should say. X land. X land. Sounds like something Optimus Prime would say. X land. X land. Doesn't it? Sounds like something Optimus Prime would say. Anyway. Uh, but, uh, and uh, let's see. And over there on Facebook, some people tune in over there on Facebook. Joe's on Facebook over there, too. I can see him saying hi from Facebook over there. We're going we're gonna to get through some things here today, but looking forward to it. I hope you're doing well. Didn't get rumbled today. That's right. And boy, can you believe next Friday is March 1st? It is 51 degrees outside right now. 51 degrees in Minnesota. And I couldn't be happier. Man, this global warming thing is working out great. I just want to burn up some more ozone or something. Whatever you do to get that done. Rumble Andrew from the UK. Okay. Andrew from the UK. Is that the Andrew that lives over by the Welsh? Is Is that it? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Is that the same one? Anyway, I might have the wrong one. It's going to be, it's warm, good. I just went out, went for like a two and a three-quarter mile walk, almost three miles, just shy of three miles. Tomorrow, it's going to be 49 and sun, sunny, 34 the next day, 43, 47, 59 on Monday, 54 on Tuesday. One cold day at 22, back up to 37 and 57, man. Hey, praise the Lord. We'll end up getting some rain. It'll soak right into the ground like the snow did. We got like, you know, two to four inches of snow and it soaked, it went right into the ground. You should come to Wales and check out the heritage of revivals in Wales. Well, my friends, you never know what can happen. I've... I... Who knows what'll happen next year? I I don't know. I've been praying about going 
back to Europe for some reason. I I don't know why. <laughs> I, I well, I have a few reasons why, but but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see what happens, right? We'll we'll see what happens. I I don't know. I I don't know. What 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 am I crazy? What what's the matter with me? I don't know. I I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. And by the way, if anybody thinks I was on vacation, you're nuts. Okay. <laughs> oh, at least my brains weren't on vacation. I'll put it that way. <laughs> we won't get into that. All right. Anyway, but uh, let's see. We'll uh, we'll see what the Lord does with all that. Who knows, right? Yeah, God does. That's who knows. I would never, don't ever get the, don't ever get the impression that I actually like traveling because I really don't like it that much. I mean, I'm okay with my family with me, but when I'm, I, I don't really like, so, nah, nah, not really. I, I don't. So, anyway. How's everybody doing out there? Hope you're doing good and you're getting something done, productive here. Pray for the Coliseum video as we, as Andrew continues to work on that. He's got to have time. Pray that God provides the time for him to work on that. And um, all that good stuff. We definitely need to work on it, right? Uh, let's see. And... Get that all finished up. I'd like to release that. I'm kind of getting excited about Canada, thinking about that. I'm not kind of. I am. And uh, and Pennsylvania. Right? Pennsylvania. And heading up to New England. And then, literally, I have to be back. I got to drive 21 hours. My family does. You pray for them, not me. You just pray for them. <laughs> 21 hours. In two days. 21 hours in two days. With eight children. Grandma and grandpa, well, grandpa will be flying, I think, sooner than that, but flying back sooner than that. But, and my wife, you know, and I just, it'll be quite the experience because I have to be back by Saturday to preach at. Northfield. I have to be back. I'm going to need a vacation from vacationing. Is what's going to happen. But you have to understand, I have to be back. Northfield's favorite son. Look, Northfield's favorite son cannot miss. The Northfield Pride in the Park event. You you get that, right? I mean, after all, 
I am Northfield's favorite son. I I can't miss that, right? So, and and who knows? Maybe I'll have a little bit extra time. I could leave a little bit earlier. I don't know. We'll see how much time it takes. We'll see how much time it takes. I I need to, I, I'm trying to figure out how much time it's going to take me in New England. So I've allowed for a day, a day in Boston and a day in Rhode Island, but maybe I don't need that long. We'll see. Oh, you don't have to worry about it. I, Wherever I go and whatever I do, I know how to have fun. Just ask Carl and Mary. Ask Joey. Ask Joey Mack. Right? Ask Andre. I, I know how to have fun. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I know how to have fun. <laughs> and you can ask my children. They, they know. Dad knows how to have fun. So we, we'll, we'll always have fun. We have a blast. So anyway, but remember though, between those trips and those long, those, that driving, remember there's also, I've got five days in Canada. Uh, Let's see, four days in Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? So there's times where we're not moving during that. Right, Mary. Right. Mary knows. I know how to have fun at Carl's expense. Smashing good time. A smashing good time at Carl's expense. And I'm telling you what. I'm not sure if Mary ever laughed that hard in her entire life. Especially at Carl. Right. Sure of it. I'm sure I can just see her face right now. I I could just see Mary's face. She was almost crying <laughs> when we were when we were sitting there <laughs> different times. <laughs> oh man, I kind of miss Europe now. I gotta quit talking about. That. All right. Anyway, <laughs> that was that was good. Oh man.
Anyway, all right. <laughs> and if you think that was a blast. Hey, if you think that was a blast, you just wait till Canada. When I'm when I'm relaxed because I have my family with me. I'll be way more relaxed. It might be trouble for you. Definitely more relaxed. I'll have to keep up my image, though, so I'll have to be. Right? Hey, remember that time? Hey, Joe, remember that time I almost ordered liquor when I was trying to get coffee? Yeah, that was fun. I'm sitting at that table at like eight o'clock in the morning, didn't sleep. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll order some of that coffee. And he, <laughs> he goes, Joe's like, Joe's like, no, you can't have any of that. That's got liquor in it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I, I thought I, I didn't know. I, that's like, yeah, okay, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, give me some of that strong coffee. Nope. It was like, nope, not that. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I had no clue. No clue at all. Yep, at the hotel. That's right. That was a nice hotel, too, wasn't it? Ah, anyway, all right. Hey, can I show you something? Let, can, let me show you. Let me show you something. <laughs> I got to quit saying that. That's what it reminds me of. I forgot I'm not supposed to laugh. This guy got, I got to show you. This guy got really mad at me. Let me find it. Here it is. This guy got really <laughs> Hey, you guys remember that charismatic video? <laughs> oh. This guy got really This guy got really mad. He goes, "Grow up, Cooley." You're doing the exact same dumb stuff when you laugh and play that dumb video over and over again. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. He goes... <laughs> I'm laughing at him. <laughs> I'm laughing at him. Mad at me for laughing. Do you get it? <laughs> I don't think that was his desired result. I don't think that he thought I'd be laughing at him, mad at me for laughing at that video. Right? Oh, I'll show you which one it is. Just for my buddy. Just for my buddy, Greg. 
By the way, Greg, if you're watching this broadcast, I want to tell you something real plain. I, I want to tell you something extremely clearly, plainly, as best as I can. Greg, Greg, you are a coward little sissy britches. I'm going to say that again to you, Greg. Greg, you are a little coward sissy britches. I sincerely hope you hear this. Because you're not even man enough to leave your email address. Greg, you are a straight-up sissy britches man. You're like a yapping little baby chihuahua. I really don't have a problem with, with constructive criticism. I don't even care, to be honest with you. But when you act like you're a man and you're, I'm a big, tough guy. Rah, 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 rah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to denounce Cooley. Right? When you act like that and you don't even have enough testosterone, enough machismo to even leave an email address so I can reply to you. Right? You're a little sissy britches. Like, you remind me of a beta male that has his skinny jeans on too tight. That's really what you remind me of. And I think that you're very womanly for leaving a response like Like, it's extremely womanly to leave a response like this and not even leave it. Yep, 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 yep. And not even leave, like, a way to respond to you. So this is how I'll respond to you, Greg, if that's even your name. It's really pathetic. It's super pathetic. Right? And every time somebody gets upset, with me about rebuking charismatics. Every time they do that, they always have this same gay Jezebel spirit. And I said it, and I mean every single thing I just said to you, Greggy. Every single thing. Okay? There you go. Now, again, I don't show you every time somebody has a problem with me because then I would never get anything done because I would be showing you things all day long. So I really don't care about that. But the point is the way that he did this, he's really a little beta, like really a little baby, like little sissy britches. Like really, Greg, really. Really, you're you're really that much of a little wimp that you you're too, you're so scared of a response back to you. So you're like all bark and no bite. Do yourself a favor. Go out, buy some big boy jeans, get them a little baggy. 
Go for a walk. Right? Be a man. Eat some figs or something. Okay? Do something manly, like, you know, go chop some wood or something to help you. All right? You'll be all right, Greg. It'll be all right. Be all right, Greg, okay? All right, anyway. And by the way, I realize that none of you women would do this, but I don't expect you to because you're a woman, and I'm a man, so that's why I'm doing it. Okay, anyway. So for some of you women out there that, that, that may be like, that's not very nice. You shouldn't say that to him. You're going to hurt his feelings. You shouldn't do that. You should him like that. That's not very nice. Okay. Well, I don't expect you to do that. You're a woman. I expect you to go bake some cookies and take care of your children. Stuff. Anyway, okay. But here's the video that he's talking about, which I absolutely love. If I start... <laughs> I can't help it. I love it. <laughs> hey. I found Todd Bentley on wrestling. He's Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. That's right. Todd Bentley is Bam Bam Bigelow. Okay. Um. All right. Okay, one more time. Because he didn't like it twice, so I have to do it at least twice. I found Todd Bentley on wrestling. He's Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. And we want to release that mighty Holy Ghost. That's right. Todd Bentley is Bam Bam Bigelow. Okay. Um. All right. Okay. There you go. All right. He didn't. He didn't like that played twice. He said once was fine, but when you did it twice like that, come on, you did it three times. Hey, you know the best part about this is, it's my broadcast. If you don't like it, you can fast forward it, right? And if you definitely don't like it, you don't have to watch it. And I'll keep going, doing what I always do by the grace of God, being the same place I always am, doing the same things I'm always doing. Amen. All right. Anyway. There you go. Okay. But his real problem is probably this right here. I like to think that we're equal. Rumor, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? Murder! I am. I am a... I, no, no, no. I'm an alpha. Uh-uh. Not if you think you and your wife are equal. Beta! Oh, because i tell you why. Beta! Rumor, are you the head of your wife? I like to think that we're equal. Are you the head? Beta! There we go. So... We let Jesse Lee Peterson a- answer him for that one. All right? Okay. Let's get into it, folks. Okay. Now, we are going to get into a lot of scripture here. But first, I promise you that we would get to reading. This is Hislop's Two Babylons. Okay? So we're going to 
we're gonna go. Um, we're gonna go uh, back and uh, read from Hislop's two Babylons because Hislop is talking about. He's talking about uh, Lent. He's talking about Ash Wednesday. He's talking about where it all came from. And then we're going to talk about the Mark of the Beast. We're going to talk about the Third Eye. Charismatics being slain in the spirit. Right? And we're going to talk about all of those things. That lead up to that. And obviously, this is that Babylon worship. Ash Wednesday is pagan worship. Okay? And it is that spirit of Babylon. You know, that mystery Babylon the Great. Revelation 17.5. It's the woman that rides the beast, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Okay? That's that's the same spirit. Now, I want you to understand something. There's some people that may not even know. So don't go around and think that everybody that has observed anything that's wrong, they're lost and they're pagans and they're... No, remember what the scriptures say to us. They say, learn not the way of the heathen. Right? Not to learn the way of the heathen. So there's a way of the heathen that people follow. And what I always tell people that that say they're saved by grace and they're children of God, okay, then once you realize something is a mystery Babylon ceremony, don't do it. Don't do it. Right? It's as simple as that. Now, 
Now, Hislop wrote on Roman Catholicism, the Antichrist spirit, Hislop's two Babylons. I'm going to tell you, and, and say it quite honestly, I do not agree with everything in Hislop's two Babylons. I think there's some things that are probably not completely accurate. Okay? But this is pretty historical and undeniable, what he's talking about here. So we're going to read a bunch of this. Hopefully we get all the way through it. I don't think it'll be a problem, but if we don't for some reason, and we don't get to the third eye, we'll pick it up again on Friday. Smashing good idea. Smashing good idea. But hopefully we'll get through it. And then we don't have to do that. Okay. That festival agreed originally with the time of the Jewish Passover when Christ was crucified, a period which in the days of Tertullian at the end of the second century was believed to have been the 23rd of March. That festival was not idolatrous and it was preceded by no Lent. It ought to be known, said Cassinius, the monk of Marcellius, writing in the fifth century and contrasting the primitive church with the church in his day that the observance of the 40 days had no existence so long as the perfection of the primitive church remained inviolate. Whence then came this observance? The 40 days abstinence of Lent was directly borrowed from the worshipers of the Babylonian goddess. Such a Lent of 40 days in the spring of the year is still observed by the Yezidis or pagan devil worshipers of Kurdistan who have inherited it from early masters, the Babylonians. The Babylonians. Okay? The Babylonians. Mystery, Babylon religion. Spread throughout the whole world. Okay? Such a Lent of 40 days was held in spring by the pagan Mexicans. What? The pagan Mexicans? For thus we read in Humboldt, where he gives account of Mexican observances. He says, Three days after the vernal equinox began a solemn fast of 40 days in honor of the sun. They were sun worshipers. S-U-N. S-U-N. Okay? They worship the sun. Remember, the Bible warns us about worshiping the hosts of heaven. The sun, the moon, and the stars. He warned about that. In Deuteronomy, not to do that. Such a Lent of 40 days observed in Egypt as many or as may be seen on consulting Wilkinson's Egyptians, the, the Egyptian letter, excuse me, the Egyptian Lent of 40 days, we are informed by Lanzier in his Sabian researches, was held expressly in commemoration of Adonias or Osiris, the great mediatorial god. Osiris. So these are your false gods, Odin, Osiris, 
They're Egyptian gods that are worshipped. The great mediatorial god who was mocked after Christ. At that time, at the same time, the rape of Prosperian seems to have been commemorated in a similar manner. For Julius Firmicus informs us that 40 nights the wailing of Prosperian continued, and from Arnobius, we learn that the fast which the pagans observed, called Castus, or the sacred fast, was by the Christians in his time believed to have been primarily an imitation of the long fast of Ceres. When for many days she determinately refused to eat on account of her excess of sorrow, that is, on account of the loss of her daughter Prosperian, when carried away by Pluto, the god of hell. As the stories of Bacchus or Adonis, Adonis or Prosperian, through originally, though originally distinct, were made to join on and fit into one another so that Bacchus was called Liber and his wife Eridan, Liberia, Libera, which was one of the names of Prosperian, it is highly probable that the 40 days fast of Lent was made in latter times to have reference to both. Among the pagans, this Lent seems to have been an indispensable preliminary to the great annual festival in commemoration of the death and the resurrection of Tammuz which was celebrated by alternate weeping and rejoicing and which in many countries was considerably latter than the Christian festival being observed in Palestine and Assyria in June, therefore called the month of Tammuz in Egypt about the middle way, the middle of May and in Britain sometime in April. Now, let's look. Here you go. Remember the abomination that maketh desolate? Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. Verse 14. Remember God is showing Ezekiel. Remember the chambers of his imagery? Remember what God showed him behind the wall? Showed him the phallic symbol that was stuck, the abomination that make it desolate that was stuck right there. Bale shaft, that's all I'm going to go. I'm not going any further than that because I don't want to be perverted. This is a children's show, broadcast, children friendly. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse number 14. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house which was toward the north. Behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. This is, this is heathen worship. And he brought me into the inner court. He said, then, then he said unto me, hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, 
at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men and with their backs towards the temple of the Lord. And their faces toward the east, and they worship the sun towards the east. Secret societies. Heathens. Heathen worship. And God hates that mixture. Listen to me, friend. God hates hybrid worship. He hates the mixture of heathen worship with his worship. It is an abomination to him. And he hates it. He killed Nadab and Abihu for offering strange fire unto the Lord. What'd they do? Oh, they mixed up something in their lab, right? And they, they mixed it up and they burnt this fire and God said, nope, you're done. Jesus said it, didn't he? Jesus said very plainly. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is where the this is where the Christian clowns get mad. They want to clown around with God's worship, the Christmas clowns, not the Christmas clowns, the Chris the Christmas clowns. Right? The Christmas clowns get mad at you when you don't want to celebrate Christmas because it's a mixture of heathen worship with God's worship and God hates it. He absolutely hates it. He's, then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations with the, which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have turned to provoke me to anger, and lo, they put the branch to their nose. Paganism, heathenism, putting the branch to their nose. God hates it. They're weeping for Tammuz. What is that? Well, it's heathen. And unfortunately, the heathens, what they do is they mix spiritual fornication with physical fornication, and it's a part of their rites. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to you very plainly. If any man, whether he calls himself a Baptist, a Protestant, a Catholic, uh, a Lutheran, a Pentecostal, a Calvinist, I don't care what it is. Hindu, whatever it is, I don't care what it is. But let's just pick on the, 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 the Protestant, Baptist, and those groups. If any of those men tell you 
that God wants you to be sexual with them because it's a spiritual thing uh, for you to do that. And they try to use spiritual power to get you to fornicate with them or to fool around with them or to be sexual with them. They are liars. Okay? I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't care if it's a priest. I don't care if it's a deacon. I don't care if it's your father or if it's your mother. I don't care if it's the Pope in Rome. I don't care who it is. God never tells anyone to mix sexual things with spiritual things. Save only in this sense that the marriage bed is holy and undefiled. Whether it's Jack Hiles' church, whether it's Pastor Cooley's church, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, any other Baptist, any other Presbyterian, any, I don't care who it is. There's nothing godly about it. There's nothing, there's Muslims, right? Islam, there's nothing godly about it. There's nothing holy about it. You're to remain pure until marriage. That's what God wants you to do. There. Make it clear, right? So anybody that tries to use it, that's, that's sex cult behavior. And it might be an isolated issue with a perverted pastor or a perverted thing. But you will see very clearly my doctrine, my practice, what I believe concerning the scriptures. Amen. Let it be known very plainly and clearly. Again, it might be, there might be some man that is taken up with sin and he, and he, and he, but that's, none of that's biblical. Or woman, if a woman does it. It's wrong. It's perverted. It's sinful. It ought to be rejected. And you ought to tell somebody about it. Amen. So there. We make that very clear and plain. Push that out to the light. Wherever it is. Because you're hearing about all this stuff all over the place. And it's not just churches. It's not. It's. It's schools. Organizations. Churches. The Sodomite movement. In the end times. The sin will be fornication. And sorcery. And those two will be mixed. Sexual content is for the marriage bed only. Contact is for the marriage bed. There you go. Holy matrimony. Amen. Making it clear. Making it understandable. I'm not going into anything perverted. I'm just, I'm just basically, I'm telling you. So somebody wonders, what's your stated, this is my stated position on any of those things. Very plainly. 
That's why men need to walk with God and women need to walk with God and they need to keep the proper orders in the sexes and they need to uh, guard themselves against things and be uh, faithful to their spouses and their spouses faithful to them and they need to walk with God and have that daily walk and, you know, the roles in the churches need to be clear. Amen. All right. I thought it was a good time to, I didn't plan on saying that, but it was a good time to say it. So I'll just making it clear. Amen. Good time to say it. Wasn't planning it though. Okay, so let's let's continue to read about this, all right? To, concili- to conciliate the pagans to nominal Christianity, Rome, pursuing its usual policy, took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals amalgamated, and by a complicated but skillful adjustment of the calendar, it was found no difficult matter. In general, to get paganism and Christianity now far sunk in idolatry, in this as in so many other things, to shake hands. Now, when he says Christianity, he's talking about mainstream Roman Catholicism. Right? That's what he's speaking of, Roman Catholicism. Okay? He's not talking about like the Waldenses, the Donatists, the Novationists. If he is, he doesn't know who they are. The Petrobrusians, the Henricians, the Albigenses. They weren't involved with this garbage. They rejected what the Pope said and everything. Okay. The instrument in accomplishing this amalgamation. So Rome said, you know what? Around 580 probably or so, I guess. I'm guessing is the date. We'll get to that. Around 580 or so, Rome said, you know what? We got to find a way to get these celebrations to line up with Christianity. That's what they did. The instrument of accomplishing this amalgamation was the abbot of Dionysus the Little, to whom also we owe it as modern chronologers have demonstrated that the date of the Christian era or the birth of Christ himself was moved four years from the true time. Whether this was done through ignorance or design may be matter of question, but there seems to be no doubt of the fact that the birth of the Lord Jesus was made full four years later than the truth. The change of the calendar in regard to Easter was attended with momentous consequences. It brought into the church the grossest corruption and the rankest superstition in connection with the abstinence of Lent. Let anyone only read the atrocities that were commemorated during the sacred fast or pagan Lent, as described by Arnobius and Clemens Alexandrius. And surely he must blush for the Christianity of those who, with the full knowledge of all these abominations, went down to Egypt to help, for help, to stir up the languid devotion of the degenerate church, and who could find no more excellent way to revive it 
than by borrowing from so polluted of a source. The absurdities and abominations connected with which the early Christian writers had held up, held up to scorn that Christians should ever think of introducing the pagan abstinence of Lent was a sign of evil. It showed how low they had sunk, and it was also a cause of evil. It inevitably led to a deeper degradation. Originally, even in Rome, Lent with the preceding revelries of the carnival was entirely unknown. And even when fasting before the Christian Pasch, which is the Passover, the Christian, the Passover lamb, okay, was held to be necessary is by slow steps. And in this respect, it came to conform with the ritual of paganism. What may have been the period of fasting in the Roman church before sitting of the Nicene Council? Nicene Council does not very clearly appear. But for a considerable period after that, the council, we have a distinct evidence that it did not exceed three weeks. So here's what Geisler says about that. Okay. Okay. Geisler, speaking of the Eastern Church in the second century in regard to Paschal observances, says, In it, the Paschal festival in commemoration of the death of Christ, they, the Eastern Christians, eat unleavened bread, probably like the Jews, eight days throughout. There is no trace of a yearly festival of a resurrection among them, for this was kept every Sunday. In regard to the Western Church, at a somewhat later period, the age of Constantine, 15 days seems to have been observed to religious exercises in connection with the Christian Paschal Feast, as appears from the following extracts from Bingham, kindly furnished to me by a friend, although the period of fasting is not stated. Bingham, origin, says, the solemnities of the Pasch, the week before and the week after Easter Sunday, one week of the cross, the other of the resurrection, the ancient speaks of the Passion and resurrection of Pash as a 15-day solemnity. 15 days was enforced by law by the empire and commanded to the universal church. Scaliger mentions the law of Constantine, ordering two weeks for Easter and a vacation of all legal processes. That's right. So, So, Paschal, that started way before, you know, anybody, uh, it pertained to Passover or to Easter. This is why I maintain to you that that Paschal or that Easter lamb, right, is, was not necessarily pagan in its practice that they had. Many believe, and here in the second century, that it had continued, that there was, there was that Easter or Oster lamb, okay? And that was the same, that was synonymous with, with the Paschal, okay? Um, or the Passover lamb, which was a picture of Christ. So the, the Jews at that time, now, that does not mean that it is required and that Easter bunnies and eggs and all the fertility stuff and all those other things, 
have anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ or his church. And there's no command to observe any festivals or anything like that in the New Testament, okay? So I'm not saying that. I'm not stamping an approval on Easter services or anything like that. We just we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. But the point is that you could see that there was an observance of that replacement for the Passover, that that was in, in check already before. So when you read before the King James Bible, you see the translations that were there as you go down through the good strand of texts down through, which weren't perfect like the King James Bible. But anyway, the point is, is that you can see that and then you can understand, you know, um, the Passover lamb. That's the Easter lamb was the Passover lamb. I disagree with Islop, and I, I tend to agree more with with uh, the study of Will. Um, I can't think of his last name right now. As he studied that through, I, I tend to agree with him more that that probably had nothing to do with paganism. Now, paganism was adopted later with all that. And it is just as equally true that there is no commands to observe any of those things. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying that I, that I believe any of that. There's, a, there's actually a third and narrow position that is right in the middle there. And if you wonder what I believe about that, you can go listen to uh, a teaching that I did on that. Here it is. It is called KJV defense. It is called Easter is not a mistake and not pagan. Okay. So you can listen to that. All right. And that'll help you understand my position. Again, we're not condoning and instituting. We don't do anything. We, we, don't, we, we celebrate the resurrection. every So that's every Sunday. All right. So that anyway, but, um, Here we go. The words of Socrates, writing on this very subject, about A.D. 450, are these. Those who inhabit the princely city of Rome fast together before Easter three weeks, excepting the Saturday and the Lord's Day. But at last, when the worship of Astarte was rising into the ascendant, uh, steps were taken to get the whole Chaldean Lent of six weeks or 40 days made imperative on all within the Roman Empire of the West. The way was prepared for this by the council held at Aurelia in the time of Hormazadus, bishop of Rome, about the year 519, which decreed that Lent should be solemnly kept before Easter. It was with this view, no doubt, of carrying out this decree that the calendar was a few days after readjusted by Dionysus. This decree could not be carried out all at once. About the end of the 6th century, the first decisive attempt was made to enforce the observance of the new calendar. It was in Britain that the first attempt was made in this way, and here the attempt met with vigorous resistance. The difference in point of time betwixt the Christian Pash and observed in Britain by the native Christians and the pagan Easter enforced by Rome at the time of its enforcement 
was a whole month. And it was only by violence and bloodshed at last that the festival of Anglo-Saxon or Chaldean goddess came to supersede that which had been held in honor of Christ. So you can see that there was this, there was this worship, or uh, not worship, but there was this, this observance of a Christian Passover. Okay? And the danger of those, uh, what happened was, is that they, the pagans got a hold of it, Constantine got a hold of it, started to change it, change things. He started the ball rolling, and then in 519, here's what you see. Humanius, quoted by Archbishop Usher, those who have been brought up in the observance of Christmas at Easter, and who yet abhor from their hearts all pagan, papal and pagan idolatry alike may perhaps feel as if there was something untoward in the revelations given above in regard to the origin of these festivals. But a moment's reflection will suffice entirely to banish such a feeling. They will see that if the account I've given be true, it is of no use to ignore it. A few of the facts stated in these pages are already known to infidel and Socinian writers of no mean mark. Both in this country and on the continent, these are using them in such a way as to undermine the faith of the young and uninformed in regard to the very vitals of the Christian faith. Surely then it must be the last consequence that the truth should be set forth in its own native light. Even though it may somewhat run counter to the preconceived opinions, especially then that truth, justly considered, tends so much at once to strengthen the rising youth against the seductions of popery. And to confirm them in the faith once delivered to the saints. If a heathen could say Socrates I love and Plato I love, but I love truth more, surely a true Christian mind will not display less magnanimity, 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 I don't know, whatever. Anyway, you know what I'm saying, sort of. Is there not much even in the aspect of the times that ought to prompt the earnest inquiry in the occasion that is not an occasion has not arisen when efforts and strenuous and strenuous efforts should be made to purge out of the national establishment in the South these observances and everything else that has flowed in upon from Babylon's golden cup. So anyway, he's he's basically calling on men to stand up against these things. So that's the history of of those things, right? Um, now we move on to something that is pretty plain to see and you don't need to look that deep where is this this Ash Wednesday cross put It's, it's a mark that is put on the forehead. Right? It's pretty much the mark of a backwards cross. I mean, the way they do it sometimes, it seems like it anyway. Maybe I'm wrong about that. but And it's a mark on the forehead. Right? 
Now, Revelation 17.5 says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Here is the mark. Now, This is not the mark of the beast, the final mark of the beast. It's a foreshadowing of the mark of the beast. Right? It's a foreshadowing of that mark. They're putting it right in the middle of their head. God says he wants his name there. Revelation 22.5, and there shall be no night there. Excuse me, Revelation 22, 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. God wants his his name. He wants to put his name there. Revelation 20 and verse number 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. These... This religious ceremony of taking a cross is pagan, it's heathen, and sticking the mark. On their foreheads. Right? Revelation 13. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause. That as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. 
and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. There's a mark on their in their foreheads. Satan's desire is to put his mark wherever God's is. Wherever God puts his, that's where he wants his. Give you an example of that. Look at Isaiah 14, 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Okay. Now let's look. One of our favorite chapters. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Look there. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, either by spirit or by word, or by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's Satan's desire. So if God wants to put his name on your forehead... Satan wants to put his mark there. Why do you think the forehead is chosen? We're going to talk about the occult, the pineal gland, and, 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 and slain in the spirit and all those things. But why do you think he wants to do that? Because God said he's going to put his name there. So Satan says, I'm going to put my name there. Satan says, I'm going to put my name in his forehead, in their foreheads. Right? That's what he says. So, so I want to sit in the temple of God saying I am God. I want to. So who does it? So the Pope of Rome, Constantine. 
and the man of sin, the secession of men, they institute Ash Wednesday from the head of the mysteries, Babylon, which is the head of the mysteries. And they take as the head of the mysteries, the priest and the head sorcerer. What do they do? They put their name. They put their mark on the forehead. That's what he does. And that's what he's doing. He wants to mark them. Right? Wants to mark them. Right? He's marking them. It's heathen practices. It's the way of the heathen. Right? That's what it is. Why the forehead? Because it's God wants to put his name there on his children. On man. He wants to save them and he wants to put his name on them. What does Satan do? Well, I'm going to put my name on him now, Satan says. If God wants to do that, then I'm going to do that. And where am I going to put it? Right on their third eye. Why is it on the forehead? Look where the third eye is. See it? There it is. There it is. Right? Right there. That's Shiva. Not to be confused with my dog, Shiva. But worth about as much as my dog, Shiva. Probably less. But there you go. See, that's the God right there. They want to put it on the third eye. The third eye, also called the mind's eye. Or the inner eye. By the way, this is the number six. On the chakras. That's number six. Really? Look, I'll show you. Third eye. Look, the third eye chakra, also called the brow chakra, is the sixth of the seven main chakras located in the center of the forehead. It has feminine energy. Really? Really? I 
can't do it. My voice is so, I wish I could do that. I can't even do animal stories with my kids right now because I can't get my, I can't change my voice. I don't know what the deal is. It's strange. Probably because I never shut up. Anyway. Look what it says. The third eye chakra, also called the brow chakra, is the sixth of the seven main chakras located in the center of the forehead. It has the feminine energy and governs spiritual communication, awareness, and perception. Jezebel! That feminine energy, right? That feminine spirit. So what do we have in the charismatic movement? We have the apostle Catherine Crook. We have Jezebel Joyce Meyer. Right? You have that feminine based on feelings, based on using that that femininity. But I want you to think about that. It's not an accident. What's the mark of the beast? Six, six, six. Where is the third eye? The sixth chakra. Well, you almost think that them devils did that on purpose. Yeah. Yep. Two elements are associated with the wisdom of the third eye chakra, including the lotus flower and the upside down triangle. Really? Is that right? See, here's the thing. Here's what they want to do. They want to open up that third eye's, the mind's knowledge, right? Look at what that said again. We're just going to go by their definitions. You know what I like doing? I, you know me. I like using their own definitions, right? I love it. I just like using their own definitions. The third eye, also called the mind's eye. The inner eye is an invisible eye, usually depicted as located on the forehead, which provides perception beyond ordinary sight. How about this? Genesis 3, 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Right? Right. Huh. You mean that's what Satan was offering? Yeah. Yeah. Look, don't listen to what God, don't use your God-given brain. No, my throat's not sore. 
it I, I don't have a sore throat. Believe me, I got plenty of stuff to take care of a sore throat. I don't have a sore throat. But look what your eyes shall be open. What did he want to do? He wants to open up. He wants to open up your eyes, your mind's eye, so you know. How is he talking about knowing with that third eye? Spice, he said, and I always thought moms had eyes in the back of their head. They do, and in their fingers, too, I think. But that's something totally different. In Hinduism, the third eye refers to the Anja, Ajna, I don't know. I might be saying it wrong. Anya, whatever. Chakra. In both Hinduism and Buddhism, the third eye is said to be located around the middle of the forehead, slightly above the juncture of the eyebrows, representing the enlightenment one achieves through meditation. Right. Especially in Eastern practices, spiritual practices, the third eye refers to the gate that leads to the inner realms and spaces of higher consciousness and often symbolizes a state of enlightenment. The third eye is often associated with, listen, are you paying attention? With religious visions, clairvoyance, the ability to observe chakras and auras, precognition, and out-of-body experiences. Well, that sounds an awful lot like a charismatic meeting to me. Yeah. It do, don't it? Whoops. It does sound like a charismatic meeting, doesn't it? Right? Like, they have all these visions and all this other stuff going on. And remember this video? Don't leave us to our foolish thinking. Lord, we want all that you have. All- don't, don't leave us to our foolish thinking. Oh, Lord, don't leave us to our foolish thinking. While you're rolling around barking like a dog and mooing like a fat cow. Really? Really? You, really? Don't leave us to our foolish thinking. 
All, yes. all that you have. Yes. And Lord, if it blows our little minds, let them be blown. Father, we want all of what you have. All of what you have. We thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord just reminded me of the old hymn where he leads, I will follow. And he had a God told me to look at him, and I looked at him, and he had a tie on, and on, I don't know if he's here tonight, but he'll know, on the tie had a wolf howling at the moon, and the Lord said to me, will you howl for me? I said, don't ask me to do that, Lord. He said, if I ask you, will you do it? He said, if I can't ask you to do something in your own house... How are you going to do it out there? So. You may not understand this. I don't either. Hey, here's a good book on the subject. That's funny. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's funny. Um, okay. If you're pose- if somebody is lost, then they're at the whim of the devil. Mankind is a spiritual being. So, just as I could be filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian, and I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption, lost people can have Satan and get satanic power and use satanic power, okay, um, to do things. So in other words, in other words, when you see uh, clairvoyance, when you see psychics, when you see devil-possessed people, yeah, there is an energy field to a body. There are certain points in a body. There are things that... Uh, because the body is the spirit and the the spirit and the body and the mind are so intricately connected okay and because they're intricately connected because of that um they are subject to Satan when they're lost. That's why you see people that are possessed in the Bible. That's why you see people that have done different things in the scriptures. We see those things. It is possible for Satan to use them and to give them extraordinary strength and power to be able to do those things. By the way, uh, somebody made the comment about MacArthur being a, a Mason and I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any reason to doubt that, but what, I, but that book charismatic chaos is a good book, regardless of who he is or whatever he is, that book on charismatic 
Chaos is a good book. Plain and simple. At the time when he wrote that and the charismatic movement was out, uh, or the charismatic movement was on the rise, MacArthur wrote that book on spiritual gifts and the charismatic chaos. And he nailed that movement. He nailed it hard. Um, the problem is, the problem is that when you start to examine some things, the one problem I have is nobody is so educated as to hold and teach a position on the blood and on the mark of the beast he's too smart to teach that without knowing what he's doing i'll leave it at that cuz i i it, it, i'll leave it at that cuz i got to keep moving he's too smart not to realize what he's teaching on either one of those subjects. Okay? Definitely. Definitely too smart. So, you could deduce whatever you want to from that. You know, um, right. So, anyway. All right, moving right along here. Let's see, where were we? Before I rudely interrupted myself. Uh, I don't remember saying he was a Mason. I might have said that somebody had said that. I don't have any proof that he's a Mason. I, I don't know. I don't have any proof of that. But, never fear, my friends. Because, hold on a second. I will have no problem dealing with the things I have concrete proof about. This? Okay. See that? This is the Legacy Standard Bible. Stay tuned, friends. Stay tuned. Okay. Hey, it's 333. What? Okay. So we see that the charismatics we see with the charismatics they like to pop you in the forehead, right? Um 
Many people talked about electricity going through them when it happens. What are they doing? Using satanic power to awaken the third eye. In Hinduism, the third eye refers to the anja or the chakra said to be located around the middle of the forehead, slightly above the juncture of the eyebrows. Hindus place a talaka between the eyebrows as a representation of the third eye, which is also seen on expressions of Shiva. He is referred to as the Triambaka Diva, or the three-eyed lord, where his third eye symbolizes the power of knowledge and and the detection of evil. Get it? Listen, are you paying attention? What do you mean? So glad you have that. Will you clarify later? Is that what you meant? Thank you. I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody decipher what Betty is saying, please. Um, Okay. Um, Look what it says here. Where this third eye symbolizes the power of knowledge. And what is it? The detection of evil. Wait, you mean like, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil? See, God never wanted them to know evil. God never wanted them to to know evil. His eye is depicted by three horizontal lines in the middle of his forehead. In Buddhism, the eye, eyes of Buddha. The third eye is said to be located around the middle of the forehead, slightly above the junction of the eyebrows. Buddhists regard the third eye as the eye of consciousness, representing the vantage point from which enlightenment beyond one's physical sight is achieved. And use... And Erna, the same effect as Hindus. The third eye, or the eye of wisdom, is discerned on the deity Buddha. In Taoism, the third eye training involves focusing attention on the point between the eyebrows with the eyes closed, and while the body is in various... Gong, a body posture, basically like yoga. The goal of this training is to allow students to tune into the correct vibration of the universe and gain a solid foundation. Okay. Remember. Remember people reporting the vibrations that went through them after they're slain in the spirit? Remember that? We've covered it in other videos. This is that mark. Same thing. Same place. Same idea. The vibration of the universe and gain a solid foundation on which to reach a more advanced meditative state. 
This is contemplative mysticism. Same thing that the, that the Roman Catholics, the charismatic Catholics, and the, and the NAR movement, the New Apostolic Res- Reformation, and the charismatic movement, the Pentecostals, it's the same thing they're doing. Taoism teaches that the third eye, also called the mind's eye, is situated between the two physical eyes and expands up to the middle of the forehead when opened. Taoism asserts that the third eye is one of the main energy centers of the body located at the sixth chakra, forming a part of the main meridian, the line separating left and right hemispheres of the body. So they hit it there, the main meridian, the main energy source, the number six. How about Theosophy? That wicked witch Helena Blavatsky that Elvis Parsley followed. Right? Adherents of Theosophists, Helena Blavatsky, have suggested that the third eye is in fact the partially dormant pineal gland, which resides between the two hemispheres of the brain. Reptiles and amphibians sense light via a third peridial eye, a structure associated with the pineal gland, which serves to regulate their circadian rhythms and for navigation, as it can sense the polarization of light. She states that certain functions of the mind are associated with the pineal gland and the acervolius cerebri was absent in children below the age of six. C.W. Ledbetter, Ledbetter, thought by, by extending an etheric tube from the third eye, it's possible to develop microscopic and telescopic vision. It has been asserted that by Stephen Phillips, the third eye vision is capable of observing objects as small as quarks. I don't know what a quark is. A type of elementary particle on a fundamental constitute, constitute of matter. Quarks combine to form a composite particulars, particles excuse me, called hadrons, the most stable of which are protons and neutrons. Seeing it with their mind's eye. Right? According to this belief, humans had in far ancient times an actual third eye in the back of the head. See, this is all evolution. The release of DMT. Right? Psychedelic mushrooms psychedelic drugs and prepared by various cultures for ritual practices purposes as an entheogen substituted it occurs it occurs in many plants and animals so it gets you high dmt tripping make you trip you know uh the the hermetic the body of light sometimes called the astral body or the subtle body See, see this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Right? Also called consciousness. Right? How about we go to this one? The Eye of Providence. Wait! How did I get on the American dollar bill? And what's they're doing with the pyramid on there? We don't have no pyramids in America. At least above ground anyway. Right?
Anuit Septis. Novus Ordo Seclorum. See it? The Eye of Providence. All-seeing eye. We'll talk about that. The Eye of Providence is a symbol depicting an eye often enclosed in a triangle and surrounded by a ray of light. When you connect... When you connect... um, Manly P. Hall, Freemasonry, to the Great Seal, when you put all those together, then you find out that it's a Freemasonic, it's a Freemasonic symbol, the Great Seal is, Right? The Eye of Providence was adopted as part of the symbolism featured on the reverse side of the Great Seal of the United States. Pierre Eugene de Cimeter. It was a conventional symbol for God's benevolent oversight. Yeah, right. What God? Not the God of the Bible. In his original proposal to the committee, Du Cimeter placed the eye over shield so as to symbolize each of the original 13 states of the Union. On the version of the seal that would eventually be approved, the eye is positioned above an unfinished pyramid of 13 steps, again symbolizing the original states, but also incorporating the nation's potential for growth. Aha! He said that Anuit Septus means he approves our undertakings or has approved. Right? Look at that. The coat of arms of Belarus. The eye is depicted on the flag of Ecuador. There's actually one. Here it is. The Eye of Horus. Same thing as the Eye of Horus. So all of this is going in the forehead, third eye, because symbols mean something. Placement of symbols means something. It's the Eye of Ra or the Eye of Horus. It's a symbol in ancient Egyptian religion or ancient Freemasonry. That represents well-being, healing, and protection. It derives from the mythical conflict between the god Horus and his rival Set, in which Set tore out or destroyed one or both of Horus's eyes. The eye was subsequently healed or returned to Horus with the assistance of another deity such as Toth. Horus subsequently offered the eye to his deceased father Osiris, and it is revitalized power sustained Osiris in the afterlife. Ah, the eye of Horus symbolizes a stylized eye with the distinctive markings. Gotcha. Basically, in all the Isis Horus set, Roman Catholicism, offerings in festivals, Osiris and the offering of the eye of Horus, different symbols, different places. 
all over Egyptian mythology. In hieroglyphics. You find it everywhere. You find it on Mormon temples. You find it on Masonic temples. You find it at the Vatican. You find it on the back of the U.S. dollar. Right? You find it on the back of U.S. dollars. You find it every. Why? Because it's their religion. It's a symbol of what they believe. The occult uses it. LFS Levi, you know about him, don't we? Hermetic use, uses. When you do a study of the history of the penile gland, the ancient Greeks talked about it. So, why is it placed, why is that cross placed on that forehead? Because it's a mark. And it's heathen. And what they want to do... By the way, here's the seal of Colorado. Look at this. Hey, what's that doing there? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think Colorado, I don't really think the all-seeing eye. Well, they do. Whoever founded it. Right? Vatican. Egypt. When I was in England, when we were in England at the Natural History Museum, we saw the all-seeing eye there. When we were at the Vatican, we saw the all-seeing eye there. On the dollar bill, you see the all-seeing eye. The great seal of the state of Colorado. Why? Because they speak. Carl posted a good quote. It's actually a good quote. By Manly P. Hall. When the human race learns to read the language of symbolism... A great veil will fall from the eyes of men. I'll give you an example of this. The ignorance of men when it concerning the symbols and everything like that. Now you can get carried away with that stuff too. You can get carried away. All right? And you got to be careful about that cuz you'll see something behind every door and some people they don't even know what you're talking about. They're looking at you like you're crazy, right? But here's the thing. 
I I was at a church one time, and there were Freemasons. There were Freemasons that, and this is a, a church that I was a member of. There were a couple Freemasons there. And they were active Freemasons, okay? And my Baptist pastor let active Freemasons run the Welcome Center. And when I talked to my pastor about it, he said, well, I told them that they can wear the ring, but they're not allowed to advertise and recruit for the Masonic Order. And I was like, but you don't understand. They are advertising with the ring. That's their language. That's what they're doing. They're recruiting and they're speaking with their all-seeing eye. And they're, they're, they're recruiting. That's what they do. That's, that's what they do. They're recruiting. This same pastor and his wife allowed some other man that was a, that was a wealthy man in the church who was teaching like this natural healing, which I'm not against natural healing. He had this scam machine that was supposed to be a detox. You stuck your feet in this water and this machine and it changed colors and it proved that it was pulling metals and stuff out of your legs, by out of your feet by the change of color. And he was charging people like, I don't know, like 40, 50 bucks a whack for it. And I didn't buy it. I was like, that water's going to turn color no matter what. You keep your mojo. Well, this same wealthy man went and seen this natural healer herbologist lady that would walk up to people in their energy fields and feel their chakras and their auras and their stuff and then they would subscribe then they would prescribe Herbs. Oh, I feel an energy block here. I think you need beta carotene or something. I, I'm making stuff up. I don't know any of the herbs. I think you need this mineral. Or that, oh, there's a block right here. Oh, I feel a block in your energy force. Well, look, Luke. This ain't Star Wars. You don't use the force on me. I didn't let anybody do that to me. I looked at my wife and I was like, and they're bat crazy. These people are bat crazy. This is a witch. They're letting this witch prescribe stuff to them, not by touching them and feeling, 
things that are wrong, like a chiropractor would feel your spine out of place, or a doctor would, or a a massage therapist would. But they're feeling your energy sources, your chakras, your auras. I was like, you leave my chakras alone. You ain't touching my aura. There ain't nothing wrong with my auras and my chakras. You keep your hands to yourself, woman. You ain't touching my chakras. So I told the pastor, I said, look, that lady's a witch. It ain't close to witchcraft. That is witchcraft. It ain't close. It is. It's new age mysticism. You don't heal people by not touching them. Touching is healing. Touching is healing. You don't figure out something wrong with somebody's energy field by the devils that are in your fingertips feeling the energy blocks that are in your brain or in your chakras or in your auras. Now, you could feel my spine and feel that like It's protruded or there's something out. Or a massage like my my muscles are cramped. So you massage it and work it out. But that pastor said to me, this is when I was first sent out. He said, well, you can't, you can't speak about this publicly like this and call her a witch publicly. And if you think me and my wife are witches, well, are are practicing witchcraft because we're going there. Well, you'll just, whatever, but while your pond touches my pond. You can't really say anything about that because he was still ahead over it because the church was still a a ministry at that time. Right? So I said, yeah, he said, because my wife goes to her. And I mean, I didn't care. I, I, I'm i pretty sure I talked to it in my church. I talked, I, I said something about it anyway. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I did. But I don't remember. My wife would remember. I don't remember. But. No, I don't think you're you're being a witch. I think you're learning the way of the heathen. You're following heathen practices that aren't biblical. Right? Just like the charismatics, just like these others.
Did I say something, Jessica? You would remember. Did I say something? I can't remember. Okay. I thought I did. I'm like, I'll say it anyway. I'm not very, I don't do very well when people tell me to shut up like that. I just, I was like, yeah, okay. Whatever. Anyway. So Ash Wednesday. Yeah, it's pagan. It's a foreshadowing of the mark of the beast. And it should be rejected. It's mystical Babylon. And it should be rejected. It should not be accepted by God's people. God's people shouldn't have anything to do with any of that. Stay away from it. People will quote Spurgeon because Spurgeon said things about like the spirit of Lent. What he was talking about, he wasn't saying, he didn't practice Lent. And he, Baptists don't practice Lent. That's not what he was saying. What he was talking about is, you know, preparing your heart and, you know, fasting and praying and things like that. He didn't practice Lent. I read his, what he said about it. He was using it as an illustration. And people just missed the, the way people talk sometimes. It's just. Anyway. All right, everybody. I'm going to play a song. It's four o'clock, man. I'm off the clock. Not really, but I hope you learned something. Right? I hope you did.
What a good song. All right, everybody. God bless you. I'm going to get out of here. No, I'm not going to have a $49.99 a month premium. Nobody likes me that much. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. Oh, anyway. Oh. <laughs> that is too funny, man. Anyway. Um. But, uh, but if you'd like to give to our ministry, you know how to do that. Uh, I think some of you, I show you cause sometimes you don't, uh, but, uh, you can go to oldpazbaptistchurch.org and you can click on the donate button. Okay. And there you go. PayPal, Venmo, Apple pay. All right. Or you could go to sermonaudio.com slash Pastor Cooley. And uh, let's see. You can scroll to the bottom of the page. There's our address. 1030 South Highway 3, Northfield, Minnesota, 55057. I also had um, Brother Andrew include in Rumble how to do that. Because I'm not sure. Uh, if people knew how on Rumble to give like that, you know, if they wanted to, because we have a lot of people that aren't, there's 68 people on this broadcast. There could be anywhere from 50 to 100 people, 120 even, on a, on a live broadcast at a time. Now, there's more because some drop off, some come in, but, you know, at a time, there's been up to 120. So, um. Uh, Fabian asked me, do you still need money for Canada? Yes, not for Canada, but for Pennsylvania and for Pennsylvania and for um, New England. I'll need it for that. Canada is pretty much taken care of. But for Pennsylvania and for um, New England, we will. So, amen. If you'd like to give towards that, you're more than welcome to. But uh, anyway, Northfield, uh, you can mail something to 1030 South Highway 3, Northfield, Minnesota, 55057. If you can't, don't sweat it because I don't. All right? I want you to pray for me. That you should sweat. You should pray for me. I mean that. I tell my church that too. You should pray for me. You better pray for me. I tell our church that. Look, I pray for you. You better pray for me. Okay? Don't forget to pray for me. So I, I, I appreciate that more than anything. And then you could pray and ask God to speak to other people's hearts. You say, I don't have any money, Pastor. I don't care. You don't have to have any money. You have prayers. Pray. Pray and ask God to speak to somebody else's heart. Amen. That's what you do have. I'm coming through New York. I don't know how close I am to New Jersey. I'm going to be by Buffalo, New York, right? I don't know how far that is from you. I'm not good with those things. Anyway. But... God bless you all. Take care. I'll see you. Man, you know what I'm you know what I really want to talk about Friday? 
I've been itching to talk about this. I have been itching to talk about the phony moon landing. I've been threatening to do it like three or four times. Maybe it'll be... Maybe it'll be Freaky Friday. <laughs> and I'll just go ahead and talk about it. I don't know. I really want to talk about... About it. Anyway. All right, everybody. I got to get out of here. Have a good night. Oh, by the way, I'll be preaching. Tonight, 7.45 p.m. Central Time. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 through 6 tonight. Live on Rumble or SermonAudio.com. Anyway. All right, everybody. We'll talk again Friday. God bless you all. Take care.